We've been in a series entitled Fixed, and it comes from uh, the words of the Hebrew writer from Hebrews chapter 12, where he tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, as Andrew just read, to fix our eyes on Jesus and to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And so that's what we've been looking at over the last several weeks. And as we've talked about, the race isn't easy, right? The race is going to be hard. Life is hard and there's going to be lots of ups and there's going to be lots of downs and there's going to be lots lots of obstacles that we face. And so what do we do in those times? What do we do in those difficult times? And as we've talked about, what we often want when we're going through struggling times or when we're going through hard and difficult times and facing obstacles and life is hard, what we often want is some, some comfort. And, and that's good, but what we often need more than comfort is some courage. And what we want when we're going through difficult times is some sympathy and, and somebody to come along and say, it's going to be okay, you know, it's going to be all right, uh, I, I know it's hard. But what we often need is, is courage for someone to come along and, and to put an, an arm on our shoulder and say, I know it's hard, but, but let's, let's run the race. Let's move forward. God is with us, and, 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 and we can move forward in his grace and in his mercy. Keep running the race. Don't quit. Don't check out now. And so you, you see this throughout the New Testament. You see it throughout the Bible. You see it specifically in the book of Hebrews. This theme that when we are facing difficult times, or even when we're not, but no matter what we face, the call for us as Christians is to be filled with courage. Not that comfort isn't important, and I know those two things aren't mutually exclusive, but, but they are different. And, and it's more than just comfort that we need. It is courage to keep going, to keep running the race. And so as we wrap up our series this morning, I want to kind of tie everything together, kind of summarize it, bring it all together, but also talk about some things um, that are kind of going on in our world and, and maybe some hope that we have, or at least a challenge for us uh, as we seek to live out. Kind of the idea of, of all of this is this courageous faith, this courageous faith that God has called us to. And I want to begin this morning uh, as we start out and hopefully kind of think about these questions, but two questions I want to give you as we kind of walk through this. The first one is this. What should come to mind when people hear the term Christian? What should come to mind when people hear the term Christian? Here's the second question. What actually does come to mind when people hear the term Christian? So what should come to mind when people hear the term Christian and what actually does come to mind when people hear the term Christian? Christian, And maybe if I could give you a third question, how big is the difference? How big is that difference? Again, throughout this series, we've talked about uh, this word courage or courageous. And I wonder how often that word comes to mind when people think about Christians. I wonder how much that comes to mind when you and I think of the term Christian. And yet when you think about Jesus, perhaps one of the best ways to describe him is that he was courageous. He was absolutely fearless. You think about all he went through and all he endured and, and the path that he had to walk ultimately all the way up to the cross, and yet he was fearless and he was courageous. You think about those first century Christians For many of them, they followed Jesus' lead, and a huge part of why Christianity grew and grew the way it did is just because of their 
courage and their fearlessness. They didn't fear death. They didn't fear illness. They didn't fear loss. They were courageous no matter what life threw at them. And in life, the reality is that uncertainty is unavoidable. I mean, the only certainty is that there is uncertainty. But courage is is clearly optional. And so courage ought to be one of those words. Another word that that we've talked about in this series is confidence. You know, when people think about Christians, they not only should they think about courage, but they ought to think about confidence. Now, I don't mean confidence as in arrogance, but confidence as in humility. And, and yet simply sure and secure in what truly matters, that kind of, of confidence. Now, when, when you hear the term Christian, that, that word Christian simply means a Christ follower, a, a Christ one. And so if we are Christians, we should look like Jesus because we are following after him. And again, Jesus was not fragile. He was not fearful. And as his followers, we are not called to be fragile and we are not called to be fearful either, which leads me to a question. And I don't mean this to be harsh, but it may come across that way. What happened? I mean, what, what happened when you think about 2,000 years ago to today? In the first century, when Christianity first began, Christians were irresistible. You know, Christianity grew and it thrived in spite of all the persecution and all the, the opposition, even from the Jewish people, but especially from Rome. It thrived and, and there was something uniquely attractive about a group of people who believed in a risen Savior because they were like Christ. They didn't just follow him and believe him. They acted like him. And there was something about this community of Christians that was almost irresistible, and they were courageous, and they were confident, and they were fearless, even though there was so much to fear. You and I, you think about what we have to fear as compared to what they had to fear. There was so much to fear, and yet they were courageous and confident and fearless. So what happened? Why is it that Somewhere along the way, we lost our reputation as the courageous ones, the confident ones. Why is it that when we talk about all the things that are going on in our lives and in our culture and in our country and in our world, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned and be aware about some of those things. I'm not saying that at all. But why is it that as Christians, we seem to be just as fearful and just as anxious and just as worried as everybody else. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. If you haven't already turned to the book of Hebrews, we'll, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 11 and 12 this morning. We're going to walk through some different passages there, including the main passage that we've walked through in this series in Hebrews chapter 12. And if you've been with us over the course of this series, as we've talked about throughout this series, the, the theme of the book of Hebrews really could be summed up in three words. Hopefully you've gotten those three words because I don't know how many times I've said it, but I feel like I've said it over and over again. But hopefully you know that the theme of the book of Hebrews, three words, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Talk about the past and my past failures, Jesus is better. Current, current struggles, Jesus is better. 
Future fears, Jesus is better. Persecution, Jesus is better. Stuff taken away, Jesus is better. Prison, Jesus is better. Fill in the blank, Jesus is better. And so the Hebrew writer, just to kind of back up a second why he gives this argument, the Hebrew writer is writing to a group of people, a group of Christians, Jewish Christians, who are dealing with two questions, really. They're asking themselves two questions. If you're taking notes, these are two questions. Is it worth it? And is it working? Is it worth it? And is it working? Is it worth it to follow Jesus, you know, instead of all the other ways that I could live my life? Instead of all of the other ways I could, I, things I could engage in, all the other things I, I could deem as important and things that are going to dictate my life, is, is it worth it? In spite of everything that, that is going on around us, is it working? Is it worth it? And, and is it working? Right? Does this make a difference? Is it worth it? And is it working? And you think about it, 2,000 years ago, nobody knew outside of God and Jesus, nobody knew what was going to happen with this group of people who believed that somebody rose from the dead. I mean, there was no guarantee that there weren't Christians everywhere, there weren't church buildings on every corner. There were just these gatherings of people who believed that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was the long-awaited Messiah, and that he actually literally rose from the dead. And yet they're being, they're being ostracized, they're being mistreated, they're facing persecution because of their belief. And so they're asking the question, are we just kidding ourselves? I mean, are we wasting our time here? Is it worth it? Is it working? And so the Hebrew writer writes to this first century audience and he says, absolutely. Absolutely, it is worth it. Absolutely, it is working because Jesus is better. And he walks through all of the ways that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. You just have to stay the course. You just have to run the race. And so here's what the Hebrew writer says, and we're gonna back up from Hebrews 12 and move to Hebrews 11 verse that I'm sure is very familiar to, to a lot of us. But in verse one, the Hebrew writer says this, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That is the biblical definition of faith. Although really this is the definition of faith in general, right? And this is just a general definition of what faith looks like. Let me give you an example. For, for everybody in here who has ever had a job or has a job you understand what the basic principles of this idea. You, you've experienced faith because you went in to an employer and, and you sat down and they said, here's how much we're gonna pay you, whether a, an hourly rate or a salary, we're gonna pay you this much. And in, in a week or in two weeks or however, however often you get your paycheck, you're going to get a paycheck. We're gonna pay you. And so you went to work and you worked believing that after that week or after that two weeks, you were confident that you were going to get the paycheck that you were hoping for and assured that they were going to come through on what they had told you they, would going, they, were, they were going to pay you, right? I mean, it's, every one of us has experienced that. And, and you worked as if at the end of the week, end of the two weeks, you were going to get paid. That's what faith is. It's believing that someone is going to come through on their promise, that they're going to keep their promise. Now listen to what follows. Because we kind of tend to hold on to this part, but we skip over what happens next. Listen to how this ends. So this is faith, confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. 
This kind of faith, this kind of faith is what the ancients were commended for. That kind of faith, believing in, in someone, keeping their, this is what the ancients were commended for. And so the author goes, ancients here, the author goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Remember, this is written in the first century. He goes back to the Old Testament, and he begins to talk about all these famous people that if you grew up in church, you heard about Moses, Moses' mother, and Isaac, and Abraham, and Jacob, and Joseph, all these Old Testament characters, all these people of faith. And he says, these people were commended because God made them a promise, and they lived as if God was going to keep his promise. Faith is simply confidence that God is going to do what God has promised he will do. And walking by faith and living by faith is simply living and walking out every single day as if God can be trusted and that God is going to keep his promise. Verse 13, all these people, all these Old Testament people we grew up hearing about, all these people were still living by faith. In other words, every single day, getting up, living as if God is going to keep his promise, when they died. So they died still living by faith, not yet having received the promise. In other words, they never got the ultimate paycheck. They lived their whole life trusting God, living as if God was going to keep his promise, and yet they never saw the ultimate fulfillment of that promise. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. If you remember, God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a a, a family, a nation, and through you, the whole world is going to be blessed. But Abraham never saw the fulfillment of that, and Isaac never saw that fulfilled, and Jacob never saw that fulfilled, and Moses never saw that fulfilled, and the nation of Israel never saw that fulfilled. And generation after generation after generation, yet there was always a core. There was always a remnant. There was always a group of people who were faithful to God because they believed that God was going to come through. And I, I think we should be so convicted by that because for us, it's like, If we pray on a Monday and God hasn't come through by Thursday, we're starting to doubt our faith, right? And it's like, well, you know, I gave God four days. I mean, what else does he need? And then I gave him an extension. I was like, God, I know you're busy. I got a lot going on. And and so I'll give you another week, God. And then then he doesn't answer the prayer, at least not in the way that we want him to. And we're like, "How, how can I trust a God who's so untrustworthy? And we ought to be so convicted by this, because these, this group of people, I, I think, would just look at us and say, what? I mean, we lived our entire life trusting that God would come through, and we never received the ultimate fulfillment of that, but we trusted him anyway. And listen to what the Hebrew writer goes on to say about these people, about what they endured and had faith in spite of. Verse 36, some of these people, some of these Old Testament people, They faced jeers and flogging, chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. And then it's almost as if he kind of pauses for a second. And he just kind of takes a step back as he thinks about all these incredible people and all these incredible stories of faith and how all the dots are interconnected and all these things that have happened to get to where he is. Remember, he's in the first century and he's looking back over this. All these things that have happened, all these people of faith, and he's just thinking, wow, what if, what if they'd have given up on God's promise? What, what if they'd have been unfaithful? And then he writes one of the most powerful, and it's so easy to skip over, but I think it's one of the most powerful 
statements in the entire New Testament. He says the world was not worthy of them. Let that sink in for just a moment. He's not talking about Jesus here. We, we know the world was not worthy of it. He's talking about these men and women of faith, and he says the world was not worthy of them. And maybe he thinks about his own gripes and his own complaints and the fact that sometimes he was tempted to lose faith in God because God didn't come through by a Thursday afternoon. And then he thinks about these people and he says, the world was not worthy of them. Wouldn't you love that to be said about you? Verse 39, these were all commended, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us. The reason why they didn't receive what had been promised when they were alive is because God was up to something bigger and better. He had something bigger and better in store that was not just for the Jewish people. It was for the entire world. And now here we are literally thousands of miles away and thousands of you know, years later from, from these words that were written and the events that took place. And here we are today 2019, August 18th, and we are celebrating a Jewish carpenter and worshiping him. And he says, God was up to something so big and so amazing. And while these people couldn't comprehend what God was up to, they remained faithful anyway, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And that word perfect simply means there was a completion to God's plan. Summarize it this way. They, all these Old Testament people, They were looking forward and they were faithful. They were looking forward to what God was up to and they were faithful even though they didn't see the promise and the plans come together. They couldn't see it and yet they said, God, we're trusting you. We're gonna be faithful to you. We, on the other hand, are looking back and we're fearful. They are looking forward to everything that God is going to do and trusting in him. We're looking back at everything God has done and yet we're fearful. I mean, you think about it, God promised Abraham. He fulfilled it through Jesus. Jesus was raised from the dead. The church grows, it is launched, it, it, it survives, it thrives. And here we are 2,000 years later, and there is so much evidence for us. We have so much to look back on and say this and this and this and this, these cornerstones of faith that we can hold on to. There's so much reason for us to hold firm to our faith. We have absolutely no reason in the world to be fearful. We ought to be the most courageous, confident, humble people on the planet. Not because of what God has promised, although there's more in store, but because of what God has already done. He's he's already done it. He's already laid it out. We're on the other side of that promise. And, and we look back and so often we are fearful. Which brings us to Hebrews chapter 12. We'll spend the rest of our time there this morning. Kind of the hub of, of the series that we've been walking through. And the Hebrew writer says to the first century audience, he says, in light of all these things, looking back on all these things, here's what I want you to do. Here, here's what you need to do. And so the Hebrew writer, first of all, he says, therefore, and we talked about that, phrase, therefore, whenever you see that word, think, what's it there for? Looking back, therefore, therefore, in light of what God has done, therefore, in light of the fact that God keeps his promises, in light of the fact that we are surrounded by all these men and women of faith, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he says, talking about these men and women of faith. And and, and the, the cool part for us is that it's even better because our cloud of witnesses is 
is even bigger. It includes all those in the New Testament that you think about. You think about Peter and, and Paul and, and, and James and John and Matthew and all of just all the names that you think about that, that, that risk their lives to spread the word of God, to share this extraordinary news. And, and even beyond that generation, that first generation of Christians, you think about all the, the Christians down throughout the centuries who, who risked their lives to spread the gospel, who risked their lives to, to translate this, this, these words into English so that you and I can have 5,000 different translations on our phones and whatever Bible we want, and we can carry it around with us. You think about the, the risk that they put in so that you and I, so that you and I could be here today much less have all the, the things that we enjoy and, and can take advantage of. They're all part of this extraordinary cloud of witnesses that, that says God can be trusted, that it is worth it, that it is working. And so the Hebrew writer, he says to us, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, what should we do? And here's what he says. He says, let us whine and complain and hoard our resources just in case, put our Bibles in a drawer, blame other people, blame our parents, blame the system, blame the politicians, post our outrage on Facebook, demand our rights, play it safe, find somebody to sue, take back our country and pray that Jesus returns so we don't have to suffer. Is that what he says? Seems like that's what we've made it out to be. Can you imagine how we must sound to the great cloud of witnesses. You're afraid of what? You're scared of who? You're, you're worried and anxiety-ridden because of what? And, and, and not just the great cloud of witnesses. Think about the, the, how, how, must, how must we sound and look to Christians in North Korea or Pakistan or Somalia or the Sudan who, who don't know tomorrow if they're going to live or die, if their families are going to live or die because they're Christians because they are Christians, and yet they keep trusting and they keep believing. How must we sound and look to them? It's like, really? I mean, do we have any concept of the price that was paid just for you and I to be able to sit here this morning? And so the Hebrew writer talking to that first century audience who's dealing with real persecution, real mistreatment, is it worth it? Is it working? Yes, it's worth it. Yes, it's working. And so here's what he says to them and to us when we're overwhelmed with anxiety and it it looks like the world's coming apart and Christianity seems to be in the decline and seems like fewer and fewer people these days want to live the way that God has called us to live and, and what happened and where is it going? Here's what he says to us. Therefore, here's really what he says to us. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that sin so easily entangles. He says, instead of blaming and instead of being critical and instead of of getting all upset and anxious and nervous, you and I need to look in the mirror and you need to ask yourselves some questions. Namely, what's holding you back? What's holding you back from being all in? Why am I not? Why are you not all in for Jesus Christ? The darker it gets, the brighter the light shines. The more uncertain things are, the certainty of faith shines brighter. So what is it that you need to throw off? What is it that you need to leave behind? What is it that's hindering you from embracing the uncertainty and courageously and faithfully moving into it as a follower of Jesus Christ who is able to look back and say, God keeps his promises. He can be trusted. God promised Abraham that through him, he would do something for the entire world. And you and I are on the other side of that. Whom shall we fear? What shall we fear? 
He continues, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I love that whole phrase, and we spent some time a few weeks ago digging into that. But the gist of it is we don't back down. We don't get out. We don't check out. We don't say it's too hard. We courageously run the race, stay the course. God keeps his promises. The question is, are you up for it? Because it's not time to just play church. It's time to be the church and to walk that out and to live that out courageously and faithfully. Are we up for that? Are we up for the race that is marked out for us? Or are we going to whine and complain and blame and say, if only, and woe is me, and God didn't answer my prayer by Thursday afternoon? That's the challenge. Will we throw off everything that is in the way of our faith? Will we throw off the sin that keeps us tied down? Will we throw off every excuse that we've been making for why we can't step out and why we can't step in? Or will we join with the people who came before us and live courageous, confident lives? He says, now in the meantime, in the meantime, while you're leaning into this, while you're doing this, while you're leaning into this courageous, confident faith, here's here's the key. Here's the thing you just can't forget. Fix your eyes on now, if you, if you grew up in church, if you know Hebrews, or if you were just here with us a couple weeks ago, you probably know how this ends. Or even if you don't, you can probably make an educated guess. The problem is, that's kind of our problem. Because for many of us, our eyes are fixed on all the wrong things. Our eyes are fixed on safety and security and what or who we can blame for what's going on in our lives or in our culture, in our country, and in our world And as long as our eyes are fixed there, we will never run with endurance. We will never run with courage. We will be scared and we will miss our opportunity and our responsibility to be a light to the world around us. So what are your eyes fixed on? What are your eyes fixed on? Are your eyes fixed on the security and the safety and the wealth and, and, and whatever this world says that we ought to fix our eyes on? Because as long as your eyes are fixed there, as long as our eyes are fixed there, we will never fulfill and accomplish the purpose that God has for our lives. We will never fulfill and accomplish the purpose that God has for us, the race marked out for us, until we fix our eyes on Jesus. Until he becomes the point of reference where every single day with all the anxiety and all the fears and all the the news and all the what ifs and the what's gonna happen next, that we fix our eyes on him. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, he goes on to say, the pioneer, in other words, the one who kicked all this off and the perfecter, the one who fulfilled it, perfected the promise that that God made to Abraham, ultimately all of the, the Old Testament prophecies and all those promises that were pointing towards him, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, talking about Jesus again, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer says, consider him, focus, fix your eyes on him who endured to the very end such opposition from sinners. Fix your eyes on him. Consider him. Remember our courageous, fearless Savior who faced down death. They didn't have to go hunt him down and look for him because he's running and trying to get away from Jerusalem. He, he walked right into the face of death, right into the jaws of death for you and for me. And now he says to us, follow me, follow me. The writer says, consider him so that, here's the goal, here's the purpose, here's the reason for all of this so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So that you will not conclude 
It's not worth it, and it's not working. Listen, there was once a version of faithfulness to God that elicited courageous, heroic living. There was once a version of faithfulness to God that was awe-inspiring. There was once a version of faithfulness to God that caused people to stand back and say, who are these people? There was once a version of faithfulness to God that caused others to be so impressed that they could not take their eyes off of this group of people. And maybe they didn't understand all that that they did on the weekends. They just, you know, I don't understand all of that. But they were the most awe-inspiring group of people they'd ever met. And it was rich, and it was poor, and it was masters, and it was slaves, and it was men and women and children, and all walks of life. It was Jews and Gentiles, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew. And it's why, or at least part of the reason why, you and I are sitting here today. But it didn't happen because they were scared. It happened because of these two words, courageous faith. A bold and courageous confidence that God keeps his promises, and nothing can thwart the plans of God. And because of that, we have nothing to fear. God is in control. God can be trusted. Can you imagine if we as Christians live with that kind of courageous faith? Because it changed the world once. It could change the world again, but not if we're afraid, not if we're fearful. There was once a group of people who embraced the teachings and the life and the person, a resurrected Savior, and they changed the world. And they did it through faith and through the behavior connected to faith. And God worked through it all and he worked through them. And now it's our turn. Now it's our turn to step up and to step in. You and I have been invited not just to follow some random being, but to follow the promise-keeping God. And you and I are on the other side. There's a whole host of people that believed and trusted before God ever came through on those ultimate promises. And now you and I are on the other side of that. We have every reason in the world to be courageous. We have every reason in the world to be confident. We have every reason in the world to live our lives in such a way that people who do not consider Jesus consider him because of the way we live our lives. But it won't happen until we stop being ridiculously afraid and we start living with the courage and the confidence that God is for us, that he is with us. Imagine a generation of Christians that when people think Christian, they think those are the most fantastic, honest, hardworking, courageous, confident people I've ever met. And I I still don't understand everything they do. I don't understand all that they believe and everything that they do. Man, but there's something special about them. It's as if this world isn't worthy of them so secure, so fearless, so courageously faithful. What if we decided to live that way? We have every reason in the world to try and we have no excuse not to. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, the pioneer, perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, 
so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let me tell you, it is worth it. And it is working. Because Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, is better.